0: welcome to the soul space podcast thanks for listening
1: welcome back to the soul space podcast we're resuming our conversation scott hutcheson and i are talking about a guide that i wrote regarding the eight stages of B2B industrial website evolution. This is something I wrote after attending a trade show, uh, a robotics trade show in Santa Clara, California, uh, a few weeks ago. And in that trade show, I went and interviewed a bunch of these different types of industrial manufacturing businesses. Of course, these are specifically in the robotics space. And I was quizzing them about their use of the web as a sales tool. I kept saying, look, you could use the web to streamline your sales process. You don't have to repeat yourself over and over again to every customer that comes to you. The web can do the repetitive work. And by the time you're in a conversation with a client, you can be talking to them about what their real problems are and the intricacies of the solution they need. And you can custom tailor things. You can do the human stuff. And I encountered a lot of different answers to the question of how are you using the web to sell? And it made me write this guide. In the previous episode, we covered stages one through five, which started at you got nothing, you don't have any website, to you got a WordPress brochure website, to you got a brochure website with product pages and PDFs, and so on and so forth, until you land on a website that's actually starting to integrate with other systems, capture leads and push them into a CRM, grab information out of an ERP in some cases, maybe even sell parts online, and now we're moving into some more sophisticated stages, stage six. So in stage six, you have a you have a full CPQ system, or at least a CPQ system that's capable of selling your most common solutions and offerings online to a customer. Now, they're not necessarily going to buy online. They're not going to pay $100,000 for a, an assembly or a, a rack system or whatever the case may be for a given manufacturer. But that customer can fully educate themselves before talking to the sales team. They can configure, they can price, and they can get a quote. And then they can talk to the sales rep about, hey, we have this one thing I wanted to ask you about in our factory. We have a low clearance in this one area. Is this thing going to fit? Those kinds of things you can can get into with your sales team. So stage six is CPQ. And Scott, maybe we can talk about why CPQ is interesting, why it matters.
0: CPQ is going to be Configure Price Quote for what the acronym stands for. And I think that so many of the, the businesses we work with in the industrial space, this the most important word here is that configure word. We've done some work with clients on configurators, of course, and seen how excited they were when they finally got to this stage. Because most of this work, like we said, is not selling T-shirts. Uh, even though there is some configuration to a T-shirt, let me pick a color, a size, I'm going to pick what level of shipping I want. Everyone's used to online shopping, and that, that is sort of the most simple version of what that configuration could look like when you're talking about an item. But of course, the type of clients that we serve and, and the ones that you'll be meeting with uh, and you've met with at, at trade shows, the configuration here can get pretty complicated. And I think getting into this stage is definitely something that if you are not, if you have not progressed through the other five stages... Something like this could seem pretty intimidating because I'm sure that clients and businesses that have certainly fairly complicated product sets, and product sets, we talk about them being complicated, being high risk, meaning that the buyers have to get these things right. You have to know that you're getting the right robotic arm or the right robotic arm part replacement. These are things that are really critical. And to get that quote, the price and the quote part of this, to get that so that it doesn't It's got to be accurate, right? You don't want the salesperson to be like, oh, yeah, that's just what the website says. But getting this configuration part of it really figured out, I think, could be intimidating because businesses know that it's so critical. But this is something that I think we've seen that the users of their service are really eager to dig into. And you mentioned in the last episode about this is a millennial mindset. And that this configure price quote technology and implementing that on a website to an an older, maybe a less technologically adoptive generation could seem like overkill. Oh, I don't have to bother with this. But that that 35-year-old buyer, they're pretty interested in this. This this allows them to start getting meaningful work done Mm -hmm. while using your business's website.
1: And it's available anytime. I mean, this is the old promise of the web is that that thing is up and running. You have to wait for the sales team to to wake up in their time zone to have that conversation with you. Another interesting thing about stage 6, and this we learned this from one of our clients I mentioned on the, on the previous episode. In stage 6, you're seeing how your willingness to adopt digital to adopt using the web as a sales tool it, it imposes itself on your business. We see this with all of our clients. When we encounter something that the website could do, it's not doing yet. It could do, but you have to change your business model a little bit or you have to change your product offering a little bit. We talked to one of our clients, and what he described in preparation for doing the web work that we did, where we built a CPQ system for them from scratch, they had to change their product offering. They had to set it up so that it was more capable of being configured and priced and quoted online. In in other words, they had to to streamline their own business, their own uh, sales offering, reduce the friction in their own process of solving their customers' problems so that these things could be made available online. Now, this was the transition between a boomer owner and a millennial owner, and the millennial could see the future, could see the promise in these technologies and knew it was worth going to the trouble to doing it. As far as I'm concerned, their business has exploded compared to where it was, and it's largely because this owner had some understanding of digital. This, this owner even participated in the build. Like This guy can actually code on the weekends. He can, write, he can write website code. So he knew what we were talking about, and he knew the questions to ask, and he knew when we said, this won't work in a form, you can't configure this on a website. It's too gray. There's too much gray area here. He knew he need, needed to go back and sort of restructure some things. And this is another way to emphasize in stage six, you don't have to sell everything online. Not all of it has to be available on the website, but there is, there's a subset of what you offer that can be put on the web. And you're going to streamline that sales process when you do. If you see uh, a return on that investment, put a little bit more of your offering online and tune it and shape it so that it can be sold on the web at scale. And this is one of the interesting things as you move into stage six.
0: Yeah, that, that scaling that is interesting, especially when it comes to something like this, because this is the first stage where I think you're getting what could make a salesperson get really nervous. This is that stage where they start seeing, well, wait a second now, when it comes to configuring the right set of products or parts or, or whatever for a client, they think, well, hey, that's, that's my job. Like, wait a second, what, what do mm-hmm. I do now? Because that's what I do. So many years ago, because Mitchell, you and I have been bumbling around in this industry for a long time, it was technically, it was 19, just into Mm -hmm. the year 2000. And I was involved in a pretty small startup because if it was 1999 and you were anyone, you were probably involved in a pretty small startup. (laughs) It was (laughs) that first dot-com boom and everyone was trying to do something. And this one essentially involved what has now seems archaic, of course. But it was a touchscreen monitors, like touchscreen kiosks that would sit in a hotel lobby and help people find their way around that, ostensibly the downtown area that hotel was in. Because Of course, this is well pre-iPhone. MapQuest was just beginning this type of online mapping. It's all second nature today, but of course it didn't exist then. And our uh, assumption was that if we were able to make these kiosks and have business listings listings in them the gave people directories directory surrounding in a certain mile radius of the hotel that these things were positioned in, that that would serve a market of what we will call less sophisticated hotels. Maybe what we'd now think of as a Holiday Inn Express or a Days Inn or something, like that. something that might be more of a motel that did not have a concierge service. And we thought, oh, well, the, con- the big hotels, the Westin downtown, they've got a, a team of concierges service people uh, who are ready to help people, we're going to serve something to the people sort of, you know, it's disruptive. We're going to serve it to someone who doesn't have this. But once we started doing our market investigation, actually talking to these people, we found out that it was actually the nicer hotels that were most interested in this type of service. It was actually at uh, Marriott. And he said, this is pretty interesting because uh, my team of, of, of concierge, customer service people, spend a lot of time answering the same questions over and over again. Where's the best dry cleaner? Where's a good steakhouse? How do I get to this particular place? He said what they really want to do is be the hero and come in and help a, a guest with something that's like, hey, could, could you get me tickets to that you know that basketball game? Is that a thing I can do? I've got a client in town. I just found out, like, can you do that? Hey, let me, I've got some connections. Let me do that. And then they spend that work helping with this really complicated problem. And to translate that back to what we're talking about, I feel like we're watching the same thing kind of happen, that if you've got a sales team that mm-hmm. is sophisticated enough and that understands what a, a really talented salesperson is capable of doing, they'll start seeing that what I've got, even if it's the same customer, let's take these simple transactive processes. Can I put those on the website? What I really want to do is have someone call me up and say, hey man, I've got this big problem. I've got I've got to ship stuff to two different locations and I've got to do this payment plan because of, of this government contract. And it's a, it's a pretty sticky problem that salesperson is going to go, I got you. We're going to do some human to human conversation and we're going to figure this out. And I have the time to do it because I can spend time on this high value, high stakes conversation because I know that the website is going to be able to take care of really simple transactions.
1: The irony of stage six is that the first CPQ system we built was uh, from the salesperson at Burl Audio. So we have a case study on our website about it. Hmm. But Burl Audio is a relatively small company. They sell specialized audio equipment to the Hmm. recording industry. They had one sales rep and that person was just, didn't have time, was just repeating himself all the time. Said, okay, I, I need to offload some of this repetitive stuff. Can I can I put it on the web? I've seen some other examples of configurators online. I think we need one. So we built them a configurator. You can configure and explore the possibilities of their mothership product on the web. And then by the time you've answered a bunch of the questions with the help of the web, you go and you talk to the sales rep to conclude things or to bring the more complicated problems or just to build the relationship up. Hey, guess what, man? I just signed so-and-so artist who will be unnamed because NDAs and stuff. And I, I I really want to get this, get this right. Do you think this, so you have the human level relationship conversations and the web got stuff out of the way, cleared away the friction. It made things flow reliably so that you could focus on what you need to focus on, which was relationship, which was human stuff. So these, you're right. The sales reps I'm talking to at these trade shows are threatened by this level, this stage they shouldn't be they should understand that this is helping them this is going to help them close more business and build better relationships the the next stage stage 7 is when you are, you've built on this cpq concept and you've you've embraced the idea that digital is going to make your business change a little bit and what you're going to get in exchange is scale and so stage 7 is you're you're able to configure solutions online you might validate that by making some phone calls or checking in with a, a rep online or or what have you, but you're ready to make those purchases, and the the purchase can be processed on the website. So you have what what I call staged e-commerce and system integrations in this in this stage of development. What staged e-commerce means is you're going to pay for a six-figure solution for your factory or for your whatever the case may be, as you purchase from this industrial manufacturer, you're going to pay for this in stages. So the initial stage is specification has sign-off, like CPQ, we have approval for this, we got sign-off, let's get the deposit. Now your solution has gone into production, it's now on the floor, we are assembling, we're configuring, we're setting everything up, that's the next stage, Uh, now it's being loaded onto the pallets, it's prepared for shipment, You you define the stages however you want and how they make sense to your customers and how they feel fair and how they're verifiable and validatable, but the the idea is that you pay in stages. So yes, people will use e-commerce shopping carts to pay for big ticket items, industrial manufactured goods on the web. I'm not pushing my clients to do this unless it reduces friction, unless it creates a more reliable flow of revenue, which it does.
0: Yeah, I think these stages that are at the kind of the, the end of this is, are really ones that you can see that it's not that you're required to move to this. Well, now you're at stage six; you, you'd better quickly run into stage seven as fast as you can, or you're going to left behind. I think once you hit something with a configure price, price quote capability, that's really about starting to integrate these later stages when and if they make sense to your business. I think right. that's the thing that once, once we have clients that, or anyone who would listen to this, think, okay, is this, gosh, I can't possibly imagine how my particular product set could could be handled this way. I think maybe some stuff is never right for that. But I think probably more is right for it than people realize. And and as time goes on, the idea of making six-figure purchases through a website, I think could actually seem more predictable and less risky and with less friction because I think about what you talked about in the earlier stages. We've got uh, if the if the transactions are flowing online, invoicing is connected in through here. Understanding more things about revenue, I think, would be just having that connected through where the purchase is happening it makes a big difference rather than separating those two things. Okay, you've gotten your quote. Now we're gonna. Move sort of offline into certainly other computer mm-hmm. systems where all this stuff happens, but ha- and, and then there'll still be this a bit of a disconnect. We've seen this, right? I mean we can't talk much about it from certain customers, but we have seen dollar, i risk purchases for industrial products being made online. We know that while rare that it, it is possible.
1: It is possible, and it requires a level of sophistication that some of these businesses aren't ready for, and that's fine. They can still get a lot of return on their investment and build a lot of value in the, in the digital tools, but I, I want them to see where they're headed. I want them to see where the future is. This, this gap between stage six and seven is interesting in the sense that, I mean, we've been building customer portals for people for years, and the idea is that, okay, I, I, I want to interact with Part of my relationship with your company can be supported online on the website. I can log in and look up the invoices and look up the products that I have and so forth. And I can do that anytime I want because your customer portal is sophisticated enough to support me. Stage six to stage seven implies that you now have a place you can log in to see the status of your order, to ask questions about it, to verify that something has, some set of constraints or requirements has been paid attention to and is being met and you can go back and look at previous orders and you can go back and say oh the solution that we applied to our Michigan factory we need three replacement parts for that let me go online and find out which exactly i don't have to look it up it's all online it's in my portal so the idea that you have these tools available to you and you're supporting your customers reducing friction in their experience of your business using digital to do that is really powerful it requires investment sophistication but again all along the way in these stages, you can validate the investment. You can check ROI. It's trackable. That's one of the powers of
0: the web if you use it right. Yeah. In stage seven, you've described stage six as being something that we can help the salesperson. And certainly it's something now that the user, the, the purchaser can go in and they can start really sort of getting to work, so to speak. I, mean, inter- I feel yeah. like you're describing an interesting thing happened in stage seven where... You mentioned the count, and, and I think it would be easy to take this point of view uh, of, the, of the person who has the website, of the business who's offering this on the website, and think, oh, yes, I can get lots of data. Well, what you just described is the customer, the end customer, the business that is purchasing these complicated products, that now they have a space that they can go in and gather data about their purchases, not merely an invoice right. or something like that. Now they're able to go in and yeah. see their history. Things that we're used to on like you go to Amazon you can say here's what's my purchase history and when when is something going to be shipped to me but to be able to have a similar experience uh, as a buying customer through your uh vendor's website uh, yeah that's a completely different sort of set of value that you're offering your customers than than you probably ever have before
1: so the web becomes a partner in the solution the web becomes a partner not only in the sales activity but i mean as As any good business person knows, the most important sales activity you do is with your existing customers. And when you build up the capability in in your digital assets for those things to support your customers and the ongoing sales activity, then you've really unlocked a lot of potential. So it's become a partner. Now this website can support your customers and they can come back and look at uh, past information. They can get updates on specific things relevant to them because of what they've purchased. All that stuff is available, but you get into stage eight, and then you move into a place where not only is the web a partner, but it's a fundamental part of your solution. So the idea is that you and one of our clients is moving into this space. They are developing products that are going to be capable of using IoT technology to communicate back to the web from the field. Now, just think about Tesla's when when the Tesla Model S uh, first came out. It started to become clear that uh, you're hearing stories about owners getting into their cars in the morning, and there's a notification on the screen: "Hey, congratulations! We updated your um, system software overnight." You did what? Yeah, we updated <laughs> the system software. Like we we downloaded it because we have a connection to Wi-Fi. Grab some new system software. Check it out. New screensaver, a couple of new features, a, an adjustment to an optimization of how the the motor runs under certain conditions. All that stuff took place over the air. So the product connected to the web has found opportunities to create even more value. And Tesla was doing this where they were sending data from the cars back to uh, the factory or whatever processing centers they had to to consume that data. And they could optimize the products with actual big data type uh, information instead of just customer surveys or what have you. So this opens up a whole new world of possibilities for these manufacturers that not only can you use the web to help you sell these solutions, and you can use the web to help your customers configure the solutions that you offer for their particular needs, but you can now use the web to add even more streams of value in your product offering. Once you create the capability, the conditions for these things to interact with each other ongoing after the sale while it's in the field.
0: Yeah, stage eight feels like... It's, it's the first stage of something else. You've entered into yeah. a space yeah, yeah. that feels like, oh, I'm done. I'm at stage eight. I guess I'm all wrapped up. Now you probably, for a business that would get here, and there are only a handful, like you mentioned Tesla, that have the capability to do these kind of things. But there are certainly probably other ones out there. I think in the agricultural industry, uh, there are uh, some fairly sophisticated farm implementation that is connected to geosatellites to help them understand, really to help guide movements and understand weather patterns and all sorts of things. And I think once you hit this stage, it stops seeming like it's almost like you're out of thinking of this as, oh, yes, I've I've provided e-commerce and configurability to products on my website. Now you're in a place where you're so completely integrated into how you do work, you probably can no longer think of doing your business. Uh, you don't think of it as like, "Oh, I sell something on my website, the website isn't this separate thing that provides value mm-hmm. and as a tool. You probably cannot separate it from well, how would we continue to do business if you're really using i o t enabled solutions and you're getting that sort of real time field data back in now this is it is just your business, right? I mean, now this has just become an integrated part yeah. of how you do business, and you could probably never think of of regressing back to some other stage.
1: The most popular booth. The most popular exhibit at this trade show in Santa Clara, this robotics trade show by far was a, a guy in Tiva sandals and shorts and a cowboy hat. Everybody else is in suits or their the polo shirts sure. with the logo company logo on it. This dude from my area, from Watsonville, a big agricultural area locally, it, he has a startup and the product is an autonomous robot. You should see this thing. The wheels are like something you'd see on, on a moonscape, but mm-hmm. the configuration of this robot, it, the the wheel this the, the um, separation between the wheels, the wheelbase, is exactly that of a row of crops, a standard row of crops. This robot is autonomous. It signals back to whatever, I don't know, some sort of centralized uh, server somewhere, sending data back about the condition of the soil, the crops, the state, all that sort of stuff with scientific measurement. And then it is Receiving instructions from from that central source back in the field, and it is doing the farmer's work in an autonomous manner. Not all of it the farmer's boots are the best fertilizer, nothing replaces that, but this tool is IOT connected, and it's capable of communicating and sharing data and processing data and ingesting data and, and in, in some sense making decisions about what to do. This guy was so popular. I couldn't get anywhere near him to talk to him as much as I tried. So that was, that was interesting. That's a stage eight company. I'm not sure if they're using the web as part of their integrated solutions for their customers. I assume so. But th- this is a stage that you're right, Scott. This is not the end. This is the beginning of a new type of business.
0: And I think this is something that when we kind of attach it back to what we were talking about in the first episode at the very beginning, This is uh, a stage that is probably envisioned somewhat by not even just the millennial audience, because once you sort of move into this and and as this type of technology becomes more ubiquitous, the millennial leadership is going to be onboarding highly technical, competent Gen Z people into the business. This is a generation, even more so than millennials, that have grown up without a sense of what the world could be like without technology. I, right. I think a millennial w- wouldn't be confused by this, but I'm sure there's, there's got to be people out there who are in their early 20s or younger who look on a smartphone and they look for the phone app and they see the little like little skeuomorphic handset and they go, what the hell is that thing? Because they don't have any sense of what that is like. And, and thinking of a stage eight as this sort of new starting point, I think in the next decade, in the next 10 years. That generation is going to be moving to the similar space to where some younger millennials are now. They're going to be very comfortable with sort of the daily operations that involve this type of technology to the point that I think that they will be probably somewhat mystified with companies that are resistant to using it. Because they'll be yeah. thinking, oh, no, this, yeah. is, this is the starting point. We got to start here so that we can go somewhere else. Didn't you know competitors are already using mixed reality? we we got to yeah. get some real time data from the field these these guys are using mixed reality what what are we waiting for
1: yeah so the our world the the digital space the internet the, the web developers world we're starting to see it grow tentacles it's starting yeah. to kind of creep into all these other other spaces now hopefully we make ourselves welcome and, and, and our good house guest yeah, uh, because we nice. can we can ha- we, we play nice we can definitely help here And when I go talk to these salespeople, look, I'm not trying to replace you, trying to make your job easier, trying to make your customers happier, trying to cut down on friction and streamline your process. And you can use the web, you can use computers, you can use these tools to do that. So that's probably, it's probably a a good place to summarize and and wrap up. Any last thoughts, Scott?
0: Only last thought is that all these would probably seem overwhelming. Because there's eight of them, it thinks, gosh, like how long would it take me to do something? I think to kind of circle back to our last episode, those first few stages, as we talked about stage one, essentially you have no website. Two, you just have a brochure site from WordPress or something. And then stage three, well, you've got a site and you've got some, some PDFs that are downloadable. With stage four ended up, now you've got a little bit of product catalog for search and browsing, like faceted search or something like that. Those first three stages you could probably pretty quickly progress through those. And you may already be there. A business may already find themselves here. And so the idea that you've got a lot of journey ahead of you, I don't think it's as daunting as it could be, as it could seem because there's a lot of stages in here, is that really we're sort of working with these segments and especially these later stages, particularly stage seven and for sure stage eight. These are things that you shouldn't feel, I think, as a business burdened to say, well, we better get there and soon. I think and we've talked about certainly stage six today is what we started with. That's a pretty advanced stage. And I think that is something that is accessible. So I think the sense of, okay, what does it take to get there? Takes some work, takes some some good iterative progress, but moving through these stages and having a goal set on something like a stage six where you've got a CPQ engine that is serving your customers is, is certainly attainable and does not have to be achieved through giant seven-figure platforms.
1: No, no. The, the thing that's probably daunting as well is that there's a cultural change that is required. But don't shoot the messenger. Now, I'm not the bad guy because I'm coming in and telling you that you need to adopt digital. It's imposing itself on you. These, these boomers are aging out and the millennials are aging in. These are, these are demographic facts that can't be avoided. The power of digital, even we haven't even talked about AI and its uh, <laughs> involvement in this in this type of stuff. There's For so sure. much to discuss there too. But the, the, these are, this is like weather, like you can't change it. You can't resist this ocean wave that's coming in and going to inundate your, your boat, but you can change your culture so that you can adapt and make the best use of it.
0: I think that is right. It's, it's, a, it's a cultural change. And I think about that as sort of adoption levels. Each level is changing the, the culture and the mindset and the perspective of the people who are involved with it. And so while mm-hmm. looking at a much later stage could seem almost hard to envision, if you're at the appropriate stage to progress to the next one, it won't be hard to envision because you're already thinking about those things. And because you'll have the context yeah. of the stage you're currently in, then it's a lot easier to move into whatever the next stage is because you've seen the value and you've got an understanding of that of your stage you're in, but if you're three or four behind, it can seem kind of difficult and think, oh, we'll never get there, which isn't the case. We've certainly, we've watched clients move through these stages and are, and are moving through these stages, and we can watch how they'll sort of gain that vision the longer they work with this.
1: I worry the most about the those early stage companies mm-hmm. who are getting no data, no validation, no objective information from their digital investments. There's just there's there's not enough there. They're they're not seeing the opportunity because they're not seeing any data. They're not seeing confirmation of what they've invested in and how it's returning uh, some of their money back to them. I worry about them. I, I hope mm. they'll contact us and maybe we can help them out, help them guide guide them through to a new stage. But thank you, Scott. I appreciate you doing this with me. We're going to need to continue this conversation because as you said, stage eight is actually stage one.
0: <laughs> right. You've been listening to the Soul Space Podcast.